Again, from Jack's reading in Matthew chapter 28, the reading that was done into your ears is from the Great Commission, according to Matthew's reading. I'd like to share with you a thought concerning the possession of God on this morning. The possession of God is a concept that I would like to share that is most relevant to the Scripture. We're going to see that it is an idea that is presented over and over again. From the reading that was done into your hearing from Matthew chapter 28, I'd like to read from the American Standard Version of 1901 in order to prove the point that I'm aiming to set out here on this morning. From Matthew chapter 28, beginning verse number 16, again, the American Standard Version of 1901 reads this way. But the eleven disciples went into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when he saw him, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All authority, can you say all authority? authority. Hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Point of emphasis baptizing them into the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. This notion and idea of the possession of God comes straight from this text, and I aim to share that with you on this morning. It's significant that we would get an idea of the possession of God from Matthew's gospel because his purpose and theme is to set out and prove that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah and certainly is the prophesied king of Old Testament scripture. He has fulfilled every messianic prophecy that we read about in the Old Testament. And from that, Matthew shows us a proclamation of the king coming forth and saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And he uses the phrase, into the name, as opposed to just by the authority of. And I hope to show you that on this morning. When we see the idea of into the name versus in the name, there brings out great significance for us. This is the three things that we're going to be looking at on today. This is a breakdown of the lesson, and we will go right from there. We're going to see that in the Scripture, that both when we are God's possession, there is a reality that we need to be confronted with. In addition to that, we see that there is reverence for being God's possession. That's kind of our response Coupled with that is our response of repentance as God's possession. Repentance, more of a state than just a one-time occurrence. And we'll talk more about that. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to come at it this way. Our technology is, is a little awry this morning. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to go ahead and preach. Everybody all right with that? We'll leave the bells and whistles and things of that nature to how they'll work. Mark's Great Commission, as recorded in Mark 16, shows us the sending out. 
the pattern of teaching that shows us that belief and baptism is going to result in salvation. The believing of the gospel message. Luke's account gives it to us with some more details about where it was to begin. Beginning in Jerusalem. And that repentance and remission of sins must be preached by the authority of Jesus. In John's account, we almost get it towards the beginning of the letter as opposed to the end of the letter when he shows us in the conversation with Nicodemus by night when he tells him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is not a physical birth. We're not physically born Christians, regardless of what your birth certificate says, regardless of what your parents put down as their religious affiliation to be in the kingdom of God, to be a twice-born member of the body of the saved, we must be born again. In fact, we must be born into the possession of God. What that begins to show us in setting the context is that we see in the name in many of your translations. Not a poor translation, but it just doesn't render and bring out the true essence of what the text is trying to show us. In fact, what we begin to see is actually a parallel to many other New Testament scripture. We ask, is there a difference from in the name? When we see in the name in, in, in just about four of the five literal translations, the reason why I read the American Standard of 1901 is because it is the most accurate translating into the name. In the name, we see in scriptures like Acts 2.38, Colossians 3.17, that it means by the authority of. It shows us that God has sanctioned or given approval for this to happen. And we know that baptism is by the authority of God. Amen? Sure enough, scripture affirms that not only by positive and negative command, but especially by pattern of example, and it is certainly inferred throughout all of scripture. No doubt about that. But Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20 shows us that when one is immersed into Christ, they are not just receiving the remission of sins, they are becoming the possession of God. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, the price of your sins, the debt of my sins, has been paid at the cross. Yet the transaction for you receiving that is in baptism by faith. Jesus is showing us that when we are immersed into Christ... We are immersed into the possession of God. Does the text agree with that? Well, let's go at it from a scholarly approach first. From a grammatical standpoint, wanted to show you this on today. Don't worry about that. Let me see if I can bring it out verbally to you. When we begin to look at in the name, it is a completely different phrase, even as into the name. Epituonomati means in the name, by the authority of. Whereas this phrase that is rendered in Matthew 28, 18, or rather 19, we're going to bring it out in a few other passages as well, is onoma. So it's a completely different phrase and it means a completely different thing. 
It translates a merchant phrase that was used in the first century to exchange belonging. It was though if you were to sell an automobile and the title changes from your name into another person's name. It has been exchanged into the possession of the purchaser. Much like the idea of selling of goods, selling of a home, or any other thing that exchange possession in name. And so when we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into the possession of God. I want you to recognize even that most Greek scholars, regardless of what their theology concludes, they cannot get around the fact that this shows that baptism is not only essential, but that it is the very means that places one into the possession of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You cannot get around it even from the grammar. Regardless of what your conclusion or belief is, the text suggests that it is true. So there's a point of clarity that we need here. There's a point of clarity that shows us that based on the grammar and the main verb that is used to make disciples, the participles that drive the text is having gone. The apostles, when they preached and a person received that message, how did they become a disciple? They were baptized. How were they continue to grow? Verse 20, observing all those things that they had been taught. And continuing in it. And so just by grammar alone, it shows us that to become the possession of God, we need to be immersed into Christ. This is not a removal of free will. Much like we see in the dispensation of demon possession. And the person loses the ability and control over their body. This is not that. When we talk about the possession of God. We're talking about belonging to God. Belonging. Being His. But this is not a removal of free will. Why would we be talking about this on this morning? Brothers and sisters, I want to give you some encouragement for the new year. I want to remind you who you claim to belong to. I want to encourage those of you who have been wrestling with this and wondering, teetering on the fence, one foot in the world and maybe one foot in the church, attending services but really not wanting to make a commitment in our lives. I want to encourage you and I want to admonish those of you who are contemplating a decision. Brothers and sisters, I appreciate the inventory that Brother Claire has shared with us to think about in regards to our giving, but I want us to think about our spiritual growth holistically. I need to ask myself, am I any closer to the Lord right now than I was at this point last year? Have I been intentional about growth and growing? doesn't mean you're not going to have a cross to bear, because we're always going to have a cross to bear doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle and that temptation is not going to be with you so long as we're in the flesh. We're always going to wrestle 
with some form of means of the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Get over yourself. But are we trying to grow? Are we doing those things that are necessary for our growth? And as a means of encouragement, let me read to you a renewal passage of Colossians 3, and then we'll come back to our text. But now, do you also put them all away? Anger, wrath, malice, railing, shameful speaking out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his doings. And you have put on the new man that is being renewed. Amen. Renewed. The Greek translation brings out renovation more than anything. If you've ever renovated a home or renovated a room, or seen any other renovation, you got to get rid of some stuff before you start to bring some new things in. Being renewed, how? Unto the knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. Watch this now. Where there cannot be Jew and Greek, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bondman, freeman, but Christ is all and in all i got to begin to ask myself, where are my allegiances? And is it more to nationalism than it is to Christianity? Is it more to political parties than it is to Christianity? Is it more to my culture and my ethnicity than it is to Christianity? The possession of God is who I entered into when I bowed the knee in humble submission to walk by faith. Before we go a little further into the idea of the Great Commission here and is what is brought out in Matthew 28, 19, I want to pause for just a Bible commercial and remind you that this is not a formula of words that must be said as one is baptized. Let's just have a point of clarity and have a point of reminder and maybe even a point of correction. Brothers and sisters, by pattern of example, nothing really needs to be said when one is immersed into Christ. What has needed to be said has already been said, and that person is going to respond by faith and not by ignorance. In the waters of baptism is not the time for the person who is being baptized to be taught. Amen, anyhow. For then what do we say this? It is for the purpose of your learning. It is for the purpose of one who is like, what in the world is going on up there? It's for the purpose of teaching of witnesses. It is for the purpose of affirmation to those who are hearing, wondering, what was that person taught? But I assure you, there is no magic in the formula of words, nor would a baptism be invalid should one not quote Matthew 28 and verse number 19. This is a judgment call, and this is a tradition of sorts. But it is not a formula of words that must be said, or a person's baptism is not credible. I hear your silence. I'll let you deal with that. I'll let you just go on and deal with that. Amen, anyhow. 
Does the New Testament agree with this idea of being baptized into the possession of God? Well, I believe it does. Let's see if we have a pattern of two or three examples that every word will be established. Concerning Philip and his fulfillment in the next transition of the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, wherein the gospel would be beginning preached at Jerusalem, then into Judea, and then into Samaria. Here's in Acts chapter 8, a transition. Philip is preaching in Samaria. People are responding to the gospel. But there is a point of observation that Philip is doing some things that Simon the sorcerer cannot do. And he's noticing and observing that the Holy Spirit has not been passed on to anyone else by means of miraculous gift. Make no mistake about it, they had the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit when they were immersed in Christ, but they didn't have the miraculous ability. Luke notes that they had simply been baptized ace to onoma. In Acts chapter 8 and verse number 16, they had been baptized into the possession of God. So they're saved. Regardless of if they were speaking in tongues, regardless of if they had any kind of miraculous gift, it shows us by a separate subject matter that Philip could not pass on the gift because it was only through the laying on of the hands of the apostles that one received a gift of miraculous ability, but they were sure enough saved. They belonged to God. They were in his possession. Such was the case also in Acts chapter 19 of those 12 men who had been baptized unto John's possession. In Acts chapter 19 of those men from Ephesus. When they learn of Jesus, when they learn that the Holy Spirit was being distributed, they said, we don't even know if there is such a thing. Paul says, what then were you baptized unto? They said, unto John's baptism. He says, yeah, that's true. That's right. John baptized with a baptism of repentance. But he who has come, the one who John said would come, has come. And when they learned of Jesus, guess what? They were baptized into the possession of God. Acts 19 and verse number 5. I'd like to spend a lot more time with you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 following, but we're going to transition. I just leave with you this idea from 1 Corinthians 1, 10 following. Paul gives the picture of what the church is supposed to look like. Speak the same things, be of the same mind, have the same judgment, let no divisions be among you. He's not talking about uniformity. He's talking about unity. I trust that you're in a pursuit of being unified on this morning. Even though you're wearing different clothes, we're not in uniforms. You're all not wearing the same shoes, but we're unified. We didn't drive the same vehicles. You didn't come from the same homes that looked the same. We're not unified in the sense of how we look. We're in a pursuit of unity in who we're trying to be like. And so I don't care about your externals. And you shouldn't either about what you're wearing, about the pigmentation of your skin, about what clothes you're wearing, about what cars you drove and what houses you live in. When I see my brothers and sisters, I see people who look alike because we're trying to look like Jesus. What does that look like? I'm not talking about did he have long hair and a beard? I'm talking about his attributes. A man of love. A 
man full of grace and truth. Paul is showing us in, in Corinth, a first Corinthian letter, that the Lord's church was not divided into shares of ownership. And you got people saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter or Cephas. Paul says, were you baptized into the possession of me? Rhetorical question. The answer was no. And he asks, is Christ divided? Rhetorical question. The answer is no. He shows us that the oneness of the body of Christ is surely about Christ. And so when we began to put ourselves in different factions and we began to separate ourselves saying, I'm from this conservative pocket, I'm from this liberal pocket, I'm of this preacher, I'm of that preacher, I'm of the predominant Caucasian or I'm of the predominant African American. Is Christ divided? Has the body of Christ been separated into shares of ownership? No, it has not. When we were immersed, we were immersed into the possession of God. And so as a result of that, there's the reality. Let's deal with the reverence of our response for the remainder of our time. You see, we must believe verse 18 if verse 19 and 20 is going to mean anything to you. I got to believe that he has all authority. I got to believe whether or not people have submitted to him in humble submission Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. There is the realm of his kingdom. Whether or not people have submitted to that authority or not, we're under it. Those who have bent the knee are those who acknowledge him as Christ, as Lord and King. There are implications, brothers and sisters, when I recognize that baptism places me into the possession of God, that infers a couple of things. I didn't used to belong to him. I hope you got time for this. Because, brothers and sisters, I fear that many of us think that we were not that bad and we were not that sinful and in error before Jesus. And it's much like the analogy that Jesus gives to the Pharisees who were giving the woman trouble, who was showing her love to Christ. And he told them, those who have been forgiven of little, love little. And those who really know they've been forgiven of a lot, they love a lot. See, he's not just complimenting the woman, he's actually trying to wake them up. Recognizing before God and before the love of God was bestowed upon you, you also were in sin. And I need to be all right with recognizing that I'm not who I used to be. Praise God that I'm not who I used to be. And brothers and sisters, you don't need to know all the skeletons in my closet to know that I was a wretched man. And you don't know that man. And I'm grateful you don't know that man. He's dead. Every now and again he tries to raise up again. But he's dead. Newness of life is what we walk in. And when we begin to come to terms with this reverence, this awe and adoration and worship to God, this is a holy thing. 
Not only in my daily life, but this is a holy assembly. And when I recognize this is a holy assembly, I know, God, you've brought me from a mighty long way. I understand texts like Colossians 1 and 13 and know that I was delivered out of the power of darkness. Guess what that term is? Basileia, kingdom, reign, dominion. I was rescued. I was delivered. Just like everyone else who has obeyed the gospel. You were delivered out of the power, the dominion and reign of darkness. The kingdom of Satan. And we are transferred or translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. An exchange has to happen. But I need to come to terms and be reminded on a regular basis of who I used to belong to. And I wasn't a good man. Regardless of me trying to morally justify myself. Regardless of me trying to justify actions and say, well, I wasn't really that bad. I mean, I wasn't a murderer or a thief after all. I had been in sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Praise God that His blood still covers my current sins. And so long as I walk in the light, His blood is already promised to cleanse me from the sins that I haven't even committed yet. You ought to read your Bibles and understand 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. Furthermore, reverence that I not only belong to someone else, but that when I obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching, I became the servant of God. We spent some time in Romans 6, 16 to 18 over the, over the class that was on Thursday night. Brother Jesus brought out Romans 6 and the idea that we really have two options. Really. I have servitude in this life, even if it's service to myself. I have service unto sin, which is leading unto death. Or I have service unto obedience, which is leading unto righteousness. And so I'm serving something in this life. Everyone's a servant. I'm either in service to myself Or I'm in service to sin, which is really equal. Or I'm in service unto obedience, unto righteousness. Those of you who are insistent on living a buffet-filled kind of life, you'd be dissatisfied with two options. But we have sin unto death, and we have obedience unto righteousness. And Paul shows us the praise moment of, you were the servants of sin, past tense. But you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching that was delivered unto you, and you became servants unto righteousness. Amen. Because when we have a new life, brothers and sisters, we have a new opportunity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. This idea of old things is old reins, old grips. Old holds on your life. And behold, all things have become new. Now all things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have not only a new life and a new opportunity, but we also have new meaning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10 shows us that you're a holy people because you're a chosen race. Not because you're white. Not because you're black, 
Not because you're tan. It's not about where you're from. When Christ established the church, he established a new race. Christians. He says you're a new race. A chosen. A royal priesthood. Offering of sacrifices in a daily life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. But more than that, when he says that you are a holy nation. A royal priesthood. Let me just summarize it this way. Priests. More than the offering of service, we think of them as secluding themselves only in the service of God. Priests and the original intent of their lives was to show the people what God looked like. Young people, listen to me. Christians, listen to me. As a priesthood of God, that's every Christian... We are to live in a way that shows people what God looks like. This is who He is. And you can see the impact on my life. Don't put me on a pedestal because I'll let you down. But this is what we're striving to show the world. That there is a difference in following God. And his impact has been made first on me. And I'm trying to share it with you. Brother Jack used to talk about it being a beggar telling another beggar where to go get the food. Sure enough. He says, why? A people for God's own possession. There it is. He says, that so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people. But now you are the people of God. You had once not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let me conclude this morning by just talking about repentance for a moment. Repentance is sorrow. Make no mistake about it. We need to feel remorse when we do wrong. But repentance is a state for the Christian, not a one-time occurrence before I'm immersed in water for the remission of sins. Repentance is an ongoing effort, brothers and sisters. It's something that we need to stay in. Because it, by translations, means change. And I don't want to be comfortable in my old self. I pray you don't want to be comfortable in the faults and shortcomings that you still wrestle with on a daily basis. In this new year... This new decade that God has given us, if he is willing and the Lord spares us, let us be on a pursuit of change and growth, whereby we have a change of thinking and we have a change in action. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I need to be reminded regularly that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, that I am not my own, for I have been bought with a price. And I am the possession of God. And so I need to take the admonition of Paul and glorify God in my body And italicized in my spirit, which is God's. I want to be on a pursuit of holiness because God called me to be holy. 
And so as he tells me in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, that not only just when preacher man is around, not just when the elders are around, not just when good Christian folk are around, Paul says, just as you've done in my presence, now also do in my absence. Work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But be encouraged to know that it is God who is working within you. Verse 13. This invitation is yours this morning to those who need to recommit their lives. Who need to rededicate their lives to Jesus Christ. If we've forgotten who we belong to. If we've let grudges. If we have let strife. If we have let pride. If we have let problems. Distract us. And take us away from knowing. That it is God who we belong to. Brothers and sisters. We've been called. To a ministry of reconciliation. And this invitation is sure enough yours. Let me begin. Brothers and sisters, I have sinned. And I have repented of those sins. I have gone to the Father to ask His forgiveness. And I am asking you that you will pray with me. A rededication is what I am asking for this morning of you, if your heart is stirred enough to step forward. But especially are we praying for, we're going to sing a song of invitation even, for those of you who desire to become Christians this morning. If you believe what you've heard on this morning, and you desire to change your mind and make a personal decision, I'm not living for the world anymore. God spared me in 2019. I'm not going to put this off anymore. God has allowed me to see a new day's mercy. And I'm not going to take that for granted because tomorrow is not promised. Another year, another decade is not promised. But God has spared me and has given me mercy and His goodness should work towards my repentance. Romans 2 and 4. Change your mind this morning. Repent. Be willing to confess your belief in Jesus in front of all these people. Trust me, it might feel awkward, but it's a wonderful thing. Nobody's cheering for you more than these folk, with exception to the angels who are in heaven, who will rejoice at one sinner coming unto repentance. Be willing. This morning, now that you know, when you know better, you do better. Baptism is just not a formality. This text alone shows us that when you are baptized, you belong to God. You re-enter into His possession. If this is your desire, we're here to love you and to support you and encourage you by whatever way that we can as we together stand and as we sing the song of invitation.